Hey, thanks so much for checking out this episode of Golf Strategy School. Now, I know you're listening because you want to learn how to play better golf. But if you want to see how you compare to other golfers your age, you need to check out parforsuccess.com slash Griffin. That is par, the number four, success.com slash Griffin, G-R-I-F-F-I-N. And what it will do is it will actually give you a free assessment where you can see exactly how you measure up against other people your age. And you can see where you're excelling, where you need to focus your time on. And this is an assessment, honestly, that you can take once a month just to see how you're progressing throughout your golf journey. So again, check out parforsuccess.com slash Griffin to see how you measure up against other golfers your age. What's up, Golf Strategy School? My name is Marty Griffin, and you are listening to the Golf Strategy School podcast, the only podcast designed to help people get over that milestone score of breaking 90 or 100, if that's what you're still working on. The podcast brought to you by Super Speed Golf. If you're looking to hit the ball farther, let's use science to do it. Let's use the brain science behind overspeed training that Mike and Kyle have developed. And let's look at exactly how we can increase our swing speed through this overspeed training. If you want to learn more about it, I did an awesome interview with Mike and Kyle. You can go to golfstrategyschool.com slash superspeed and you can hear exactly how they came up with their product, what it was all driven by and for. And if you're so moved, you can actually get 10% off any purchases on superspeedgolf.com with the promo code golf strategy. Now, today's podcast is boy, I don't like to say, you know, like thunder and brimstone, words of warning, but it's a cautionary tale about overdoing it. I know a lot of people use some some things that they consider fundamentals in chipping. And I just want to just want to warn you about these three big mistakes. Amateur golfers can make chipping that all have to do with kind of overdoing what they've heard kind of through the grapevine. So three biggest things that amateurs are doing wrong with chipping. Let's get to it. Do you love to play golf? Do you wish you could be a more consistent and confident player? Well, you're in the right place. This is the Golf Strategy School podcast, where we discuss specific practice strategies used by some of the best golf instructors from around the world. Here's your host, Marty Griffin. All right, so like we were saying at the beginning, you know, this isn't, I don't want this to be like some big, you know, wagging Dikembe Mutombo finger about like, hey, you can't ever do these things because that's not what I mean. What I want you to do is I want you to be aware of when stuff is going wrong with your short game. Let's take a look at exactly what we're doing and let's make sure that we're not overdoing something that we thought was good. And I know that everyone has been on a golf course with Someone, you know, it's the, it's the guy who's in your playing group who you've never met before and they're giving you all these tips or maybe it's like a well-intended family member who's trying to get you hooked on golf and they're, you know, giving you all this advice. A lot of times we hear like three tropes show up a lot with 
chipping and how we use our wedges. And that's what we're looking at. We're taking a closer look at these three common things that are often shared, but can be very dangerous for your golf swing when overdone. And they all, like I said, revolve around chipping. The first one is it's that common thing of moving the handle forward. And really what we're doing there in that circumstance is we're de-lofting the club. And it's a mistake that can plague the wedge game of an average golfer. It's been spread around the golf community for years. For some people it works, but a lot of times people overdo it really quickly. And that tip is that, you know, keeping the handle of the wedge further forward, what it does is it it makes you take loft off the club. What you're doing is you're creating an ineffective loft. It's possible for you to hit good shots with your hands forward. But what you're doing is you're kind of introducing variables. And you hear me talk about this all the time. The less variables in the swing, the better off you're going to be, the more consistent you're going to be. And if you're pressing your hands way far forward, what you're doing is you're shrinking your margin for error. And when you're considerably de-lofting the club, what you're doing is you're creating a much different loft angle every single time you impact the ball. And again, when we're looking for a consistent result, we can't have things like different loft angles at impact. It's going to be very hard to produce those consistent results. Uh, one of the things to keep in mind is that there there's two factors to be discussed when we're talking about bringing your hands forward. Uh, it's the loft and the bounce on the wedge. Now, just about every golfer knows that the higher the loft, the higher up in the air that the ball is going to go. You know, it's whether or not you're swinging a spatula or a two by four, <laughs> right? So this is pretty common knowledge. Most players understand that. And that's a lot of times why they prefer wedges when they're chipping around the green, because it's easier to get the ball up in the air. But most golfers don't understand that second component, that bounce factor. And the bounce of the wedge is actually the angle between the leading edge and the lowest point of the club. As you can kind of guess by the name, the bounce is the part of the club that actually skips off or bounces off the ground at impact. And if you're the golfer that has a hard time chunking shots around the green, you're probably not effectively using the bounce of the club. So keeping the issue of chunk shots in mind, you can see how bringing your hands too far forward is starting to remove the bounce off of the club. And that means that if you hit a little bit fat rather than skimming or bouncing off the ground, it's going to dig into the ground and it's going to kind of increase those chunk shots. So, you know, we need to be cautious of how far we're putting the handle forward, especially with our wedges, because by de-lofting the club, we're also removing the bounce and the bounce was designed to help us keep from doing that chili dip from really digging into the ground. So tip number two is where we play the ball in our stance. A lot of people like to play the ball back in their stance and I'm okay with, you know, maybe a little bit back of center, but what I really don't like to see is I don't like to see when people put the ball like all the way back when they're hitting a wedge 
for some reason, the common golfer, it's either been told or they've just absorbed it that if you want to avoid chunked shots, you know, a chunk shot is a shot that hits behind the ball. So if we move the ball back, then it's going to be harder to hit behind it. And I think that's kind of the logic chain that gets shared. But to just move the ball back in the stance is not really the solution. This is really kind of a similar thing to that first tip where moving the ball back in the stance kind of also forces those hands forward and it de-lofts the club and it takes away from that bounce. The wedge is designed to be played from the center or again, slightly back. So that way, when you, you know, when you take your shot, you still have a, you know, a descending shot, a descending blow, but you're not, you know, you're not really digging through it. And that bounce helps you keep from digging in. If you move that too far back in your stance, again, you're delofting the club and you're removing the bounce, you know, delofting the club, I would say is one of the biggest killers to a consistent wedge game. And that's because you don't have any consistency. It's, it's so hard to have a consistent impact when you're manually de-lofting the club because you don't know if you're an inch and a half off of your back foot or if maybe you're two inches. You know, that little half an inch distance, it may not seem like a lot to the naked eye, but that is going to be impacting you multiple degrees of loft when it comes to impact. And that is therefore going to impact trajectory release, how far the ball is going to fly. All of these things are hugely impacted by such a minuscule change. So that's why I really, I really like to avoid putting the ball deep in the stance again, middle, a smidge back. Okay. But you should not be playing it off of your back foot. So by using your wedge, the way that it's designed to be used, the way that, you know, it's intended you're going to have more consistency and more accuracy. And that's really what we're looking for with our short game, right? So tip number three, and this one is, again, it's kind of a bit of a nitpicking detail, but the fact that I don't want people hitting down on the ball. And yes, I said down in a really goofy way. So it sticks out in your brain. I don't want you to hit down on the ball to the point where the club stops. That's really the long and the short of it. Yes, you should have a descending strike and swing slightly down as you're impacting the ball. But way too often when amateur golfers here hit down on the ball, they think that it means to swing the club like directly into the turf behind the ball to the point where it just stops the swing. And that is absolutely not what we're trying to do. You know, in reality, when someone tells you to swing down on the ball, what they really mean is that you should be making contact with the ball first on the downward portion of the swing instead of on the way up like you would with a driver. It's important to follow through completely with your wedges. And if you're, really truly swinging down on it straight into the turf, you're not going to be able to follow through. 
So the next time you've got a chance to practice your short game, I want you to watch the butt end of the grip through your swing. This will tell you immediately if you're swinging properly. When hitting a wedge shot, the butt end of the grip should be moving away from the ball just like the club head, okay? So instead, a lot of the average golfers will move their hands and the butt end of the grip forward as the club head goes back. This creates, you know, one of the biggest problems that we've been talking about here, the de-lofting of the wedge. So as we found out, de-lofting equals bad because it equals inconsistency. You do not have a consistent repeatable loft coming into impact. This is going to cause you to dig into the ground more often, giving you more chunks. So a nice way to kind of keep an eye on this is to keep an eye on the butt end of your grip and make sure that it isn't moving forward as the club head comes back. Essentially, make sure you're not starting your swing with a wrist hinge. So as golfers, it's inevitable. We're going to make the game more difficult than it has to be. So instead of using the way the wedge, the way that it's designed, we see people all the time that try to just do their own thing, make their own way. But if you want to have more consistency, if you want to have more control, and if you really feel like you need to have a lower shot, which honestly, I'm going to agree with, I will tell you, get the ball on the ground as soon as possible. But rather than taking a wedge and de-lofting it, maybe we need to switch to a nine iron or an eight iron and actually use it the way that it's been designed to use. That way we don't feel like we have to really chop down on it to keep it low and do a bump and run. So a nice, easy way to avoid these mistakes. Part one, keep an eye on the butt of the club. Part two, just don't use a wedge. Use a nine iron. Or an 8-iron. Or maybe if you're used to chipping with your lob wedge, use a pitching wedge. You'd be surprised how much just a little bit of practice with a new club is going to help you. So one of the things that I really like to do to kind of anchor this practice is what I call the Eliminator Drill. This is part of the Golf Strategy Academy. And the way that we do this is we put, we pick like a, eh, maybe like a 30-foot chip. And what we do is we put a club down or an alignment rod. We put that alignment rod down like two or three feet onto the green. So we're standing maybe five, ten feet off the green. We're going to put the alignment rod on the green, a foot or two on. And that's going to leave us about 20 feet from the alignment rod to the flag. What I want you to do is I want you to hit a shot that goes over the alignment rod, and then stops within, let's say, eight feet of the cup. And as soon as you do that with whatever club you start on, that club gets eliminated. You don't get to use it anymore. So maybe you did it with your sandwich first, all right? You don't get to use your sandwich anymore. Now you got to do that same thing with your pitching wedge or your gap wedge. All right, we have achieved that goal. Now we're on to the 9-iron and the 8-iron and the 7-iron, and we work our way as high up as is reasonable. I don't think I would ever see anyone chipping with an iron longer than a 5-iron. They might 
do this with a rescue club. You know, I could see you absolutely doing it with a hybrid, but it's a way to kind of force the creativity into your practice and into your golf game. That way you don't force yourself into these common mistakes out of a lack of creativity. So try the eliminator drill. Try working your way through all of your clubs by just hitting over this really small hurdle, which is an alignment rod, or maybe, you know, like your lay your driver down, something like that. Just give yourself this object to hit over and do it with all of your irons that you would normally chip with. Once you've successfully done it with that, move it four more feet onto the green. So now you've got 15 feet to carry and 15 feet to run. And if you can get through all of your clubs that way, stopping them within a few feet of the hole, then, then it gets real hard and you move it again closer to the hole. So you can see how we can augment this practice to make it more and more impactful and more and more beneficial for us and increasing that difficulty level as we go. But the Eliminator Drill is a fantastic way. You know what? Here's what we'll do. I'll put, you just just head to the show notes, whatever app you listen to this podcast on, just click the link that is in the show notes for that app. It'll take you to the show notes for this page. And what I will do is I will put in my three favorite short game lessons, of which one of them is the Eliminator. I will put those in. You can sign up, get my three favorite short game lessons, and it'll be just in the show notes there. So check that out. I'll I'll give it to you for free. It's stuff that's in my academy, but I think it's really important to learn. And until next time, everybody, I will catch you all in the short grass. Cheers. All right, thanks for listening to this episode of Golf Strategy School. As always, if you want to keep it in the short grass, all you got to do is put those lessons into effect. And if you want to see exactly how you fare in terms of your physical performance to other golfers your age, head over to par4success.com slash griffin, and you'll be able to see exactly where you line up and match up with other golfers your age based off of this free performance assessment that Chris and his team has put together. Again, that's parforsuccess.com slash Griffin to see exactly how well you line up against all their golfers your age. And I'll just drop a link to it in the show notes.